Shalom, and thank you for listening to sermons from Tikvat Israel, a Messianic synagogue in the heart of Richmond, Virginia. Listening to the podcast is great, but if you want the full experience, please join us on Zoom or in the building Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for our worship service. For the Zoom link, please contact tikvatdirector at gmail.com or contact us on our website, tikvatisrael.com. There you can also support the ministry, learn more about Messianic Judaism, and find helpful resources. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of his word. So when I came, I first came to faith in Yeshua about 20 years ago, whew, in college, I remember my first thought, and that was, now I'm finally on God's team, right? I had a sense of finally being connected to God and and his purpose being able to hear from him being connected it's like a it's like a uh, if if you have a phone that was slowly losing you know juice losing energy and then finally gah, gets plugged in you know that feeling you're like ah you can breathe that's what i felt but you know in my soul um, and uh, I felt like I was finally able to walk in my calling, to be a blessing to others, to be a witness to God's faithfulness. And uh, over time, I've come to realize there's sort of an opposite balancing principle to this idea of walking in my strengths and, and partnering with God. Uh, and it comes from John the Immerser also known as John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. This is found in John Uh, the Gospel of John uh, 3, uh, starting in verse 25. Now an argument came up between John's disciples, that's John the Baptist, and a Judean concerning purification. They came to John and said, Rabbi, the one who was with you beyond the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he's immersing, and all are coming to him. John answered, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves testify that I said, I am not the Messiah but rather I am sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the best man rejoices when he stands and hears the bridegroom's voice. So now my joy is complete. So he must increase while I must decrease. He must increase while I must decrease. What's happening is that the others are getting immersed by Yeshua, the Messiah, And so John the the Immerser is not getting to immerse as many folks as the Messiah is. But isn't that John's title? He's John the Baptist, right? Imagine if we were called John the Fiddler, and then Yeshua comes along and just fiddles him out of business, right? With his amazing fiddling skills. He would literally be what? Second fiddle. Yeah. I mean, John the Baptizer is not even the preeminent baptizer in the Gospels. He's diminishing. How embarrassing. Except that it isn't. It's not embarrassing. It's what's supposed to happen. John the Immerser had an amazing ministry, a beautiful calling and purpose on his life. He prepared the way for the Messiah. But he also knew this other part, that he had to diminish He was to lower himself to make way for Messiah. He must increase while I must decrease. Such a strange 
backwards thought. Have you ever prayed this? Raise your hand if you've ever prayed this prayer or something like it. No? Not that many? Okay. Here at Tikvot, uh, one time there was an elder giving a sermon here, and he prayed this. He just prayed it. You know how I pray before the sermons. You know, Lord, may your word go forth. So he, he included this. He said, Lord, may you increase and may I decrease. And without thinking, I was sitting in the pews. I said, amen, out loud. <laughs> I don't know if he heard me. <laughs> I wasn't really thinking, but I, I, I was a little bit embarrassed. Um, in my heart, I, it was meant to be encouraging, but I don't, I'm not sure it was. But I don't think he heard me, so I think we're okay. Anyhow, how do you think John the Baptist got this idea? How did he arrive there? Well, there's a connection between John the Baptizer and another figure in the Tanakh, or the Hebrew Bible, who features prominently in this week's Torah portion. This is from Luke 1, verse 5. In the days of King Herod, of Herod, king of Judah, there was a Cohen, a priest named Zechariah, from the priestly division of Abijah, or Abijah, Abia. Elizabeth, his wife, was from the daughters of Aaron. Who is this describing? Who are we talking about? This is these are the parents of John the Baptist, right? From the Gospels, we learn not only is he descended from the Levites. And the Kohanim, but specifically he's descended from who? Aaron. Like Aaron, he's the older relative of the chosen one. John the Baptist is to Yeshua as Aaron is to Moses. So how well did Aaron defer to Moses? How well did Aaron support Moses? Well, let's take a look at Aaron the second fiddle of God. Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. That's from Exodus 7, verse 7. From this, we learn that Aaron is Moses' older or younger brother? Older brother. And then, what do we think of? We think of all the older brothers in the Genesis account, right? Cain is older than Abel. Ishmael is older than Isaac. Esau is older than Jacob. Not by much, but, you know, still older. <laughs> Joseph's older brothers, right, against Joseph. So compared to them, how does Aaron do? Pretty great, yeah. <laughs> Pretty great, exactly. He does an outstanding job of supporting Moses. So it's really a, a reversal of, this, of these Genesis stories of the older brothers. He is the supporting actor to the lead actor, and he does it very well. He's a very good second fiddle overall. What did Aaron do? Well, he spoke for Moses when he was feeling inadequate. He helped him communicate to Israel, and he helped him communicate to Pharaoh. Aaron was instrumental in executing the ten plagues that enabled Israel to be freed from Pharaoh. I don't know if you've ever realized that in the Exodus story, but he's very important. Um, this is from uh, Exodus 8. Uh, then Adonai told Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your hand with the staff over the rivers, canals, and pools, and cause frogs to come up over the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land. See, you thought it was just Moses, 
right? But Aaron was very important here. In Exodus 17, Aaron and another guy named Hur uh, dramatically and literally supported Moses' hands, holding them up because when his hands fell, they started losing a battle down in the valley against the Amalekites. But when his hands were raised, this is Moses' hands by Aaron and Hur, Israel prevailed. Imagine that humility. You're not the guy leading the fight down there. You're not the guy raising the staff. That's Moses. The first guy was Joshua, right? Who are you? You're the guy raising the hands of the guy holding the staff to support the guy who's fighting the fight. That's like third fiddle, right? But look how faithful he is. And look what happens. Israel wins. Israel prevails, right? In Exodus 28, 29, we have Aaron's calling, apart from Moses, clarified. Who is he? Who is Aaron? He's the high priest. The one who carries the guilt of Israel and intercedes for them before God. Such a, such a heavy calling. In Exodus 32, we have, uh, maybe I should skip this part. What do you think? No? All right. The episode of the golden calf. Not the best chapter in Aaron's life. What does he do? He appeases the people while Moses is up on the mountain with God getting the Ten Commandments. So why does the Torah tell us this? Well, I think one reason is that it shows us that Aaron is flawed. He's human. He's a good supporter. He supports Moses, but he, he makes mistakes like us, <laughs> right? In Leviticus 10, there's a, a very serious problem with Aaron's sons. And there's a short, dramatic episode, and this is what it says. Now Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, each took his own censer, put fire in it, laid incense over it, and authored unauthorized fire before Adonai, which he had not commanded them. So fire came out of the, from the presence of Adonai and consumed them. So they died before Adonai. Then Moses said to Aaron, this is what Adonai spoke of, saying, to those who are near me, I will show myself holy. Upon the faces of all people, I will be glorified. Then Aaron kept silent. Why was Aaron silent when he lost his sons? Was he so stricken that he was unable to, to mourn, to speak? Was he quietly accepting the judgment of God and coming to an understanding of the severity of God's holiness? What's interesting, though, is how the community responds. So this is a, a few verses later. Then Moses said to Aaron, to, to Eleazar and Ithamar, his sons, he had two other sons, do not uncover your heads or tear your clothes so you may not die, and he will not be angry with the entire congregation. But let your kinsmen, the whole house of Israel, mourn over the burning that Adonai has kindled. So Aaron can't mourn. His remaining sons can't mourn, but who mourns? Who mourns for them? The community. So here, Aaron the supporter, remember who he is. Aaron is also a mediator, He's the one that intercedes for all of Israel, usually. And what happens here? All of Israel mourns on behalf of Aaron when he can't. It's really beautiful 
to see the community rally around him at what, what I assume is the lowest point of his life. It reminds me of uh, the end of Schindler's List when all the descendants of the Jews that Schindler saved from the Holocaust, they gather to lay stones on his grave in admiration and respect and thanks. He, he had a complicated life, but his life was poured out, Schindler, for others. And so too, I think, with Aaron and perhaps also with us. Then there's a... Um, an incident where Aaron and Miriam are mocking Moses. This is a, another negative portrayal of, of Aaron. It makes it even more complicated. Why are they mocking him? Well, he has an African wife. So there's a little bit of uh, racism here. And uh, what the Lord does is he gives Miriam uh, a skin disease in response. And they're also kind of... Uh, rising up against Moses a little bit, not only because of his wife, but also, uh, they say, hasn't Adonai also spoken through us, right? They get a little bit of that pride in there and mix with the racism, and then the Lord brings, brings a little bit of judgment there. And, uh, and then they get back in line. They're like, whoa, <laughs> I think, I think we, were, we were off base here. And that was uh, two parshas ago. I think uh, Scott mentioned that. You know, there are only three times in the scripture where it reads, the Lord spoke to Aaron. Only three. Every other time, what does it say? What are we used to hearing? The Lord spoke unto Moses saying, right? Have you ever heard that? If you haven't heard that, you haven't been listening because that's what we say that every week, <laughs> right? Or the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, right? It does say that sometimes, but notice who's first, Moses, but I thought he was younger, right? Aaron's the second fiddle, but he's okay with that in general. He's okay with that. So there's three times that the Lord speaks to Aaron directly. And I think it's in three key moments. I think there's a reason for that. So the first one is the calling of Moses. So God speaks from a burning bush and says, I want you to go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. And Moses says, uh, that's a direct quote, actually, from the, from the scriptures. Um, I, I can't do that. I'm not a good speaker. Uh, what if they don't believe me? Uh, who am I? That, you know, like, he has all these excuses. Uh, but eventually, uh, he agrees to do it, but with a caveat. What does the Lord say? He says, okay. Aaron, your brother, can help you, right? You, you, you have a speed, he had a, probably had a stutter or something like that. So uh, the Lord said, okay, you don't have to speak. You tell Aaron and Aaron will speak what, uh, what I tell you, okay? But uh, this is the first time that Adonai speaks to Aaron. This is just, just after that episode. Now Adonai said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses, so he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. Then Moses told Aaron all the words of Adonai with which he had been sent, along with all the signs he had commanded him to do. This is a key moment in Moses' life. He's accepting the calling. And the Lord speaks directly to Aaron. Why? To ensure that Moses will have that support that he needs to deliver the Israelites from slavery. 
He wants them to be a team. He wants Moses to have help. Even though Moses uh, hemmed and hawed at the calling, he's like, okay. And, though he sp- and so he spoke directly to Aaron, which is very rare. The second time Hashem speaks to Aaron directly is after the death of his sons. This is in Leviticus 10. Adonai spoke to Aaron, saying, Do not drink wine or fermented drink, neither you nor your sons with you, when you go into the tent of meeting, so that you do not die. This is to be a statute forever throughout your generations. You are to make a distinction between the holy and the common, between the unclean and the clean, and you are to teach the children of Israel all the statutes which Adonai has spoken to them through Moses. So Adonai is giving Aaron critical information here in order to preserve his remaining sons and to keep them safe in the holy space of the tabernacle. And God also reminds Aaron of his immense calling as a shepherd and teacher over Israel, especially with regard to holiness and the things of the the tabernacle. And the third time that the Lord addresses Aaron directly is in this week's Parsha. It's very similar to the first two. Adonai said to Aaron, you, your sons, and the house of your father with you will bear the guilt for the sanctuary, and you and your sons will bear the guilt for your priesthood. The Lord is reminding Aaron of all the responsibilities and immense honor of the priesthood. The, the intercessor, the mediator, is so important for the life of Israel. Yes, he's the second fiddle to Moses, but in many ways, he's just as crucial, just as important as Moses is. The context of this statement, the majority of this week's Parsha, is the rebellion of Korach. Who is Korach? Well, he's a Levite. And he rises up against Moses and Aaron. He says, uh, hey, aren't we all holy? Come on. Who, made, who died and made this guy king over us, right? That's, what he's, that's not a direct quote, but it's kind of a paraphrase. Um, Korach is a Levite, but he's not a Kohen. He's not a, a priest like Aaron. So think of a, a second fiddle who is not content in his position. What did he want? He wanted more power and wanted more authority. That's just pride. That's just pride. And then God causes the ground to swallow them up, him and all, everyone who is with him. And then the rest of the community gets mad at, at Moses and Aaron again. <laughs> it's interesting, right? You killed all these people. He's like, no, the Lord did. But, you know, that's, uh, that's the way it goes sometimes. So this passage that we read where the, where the Lord addresses Aaron directly is right after the, the rebellion. And what is he doing? God is speaking directly to Aaron for the third and last time, and he affirms him in his calling. You are bearing the iniquity of all Israel. You have an important job, right? You are important. In all these scenarios, I think we see the contradictory poles. There's the importance of what we do, the immensity of the calling, and then there's the lowliness of the calling. God has an immense accountability, an immense charge for for Aaron. And yet, he's supposed to decrease. He's supposed to be the supporter, the second fiddle. The one who is sometimes overlooked. The afterthought. He's a supporting character. 
to Moses. The Lord speaks to Moses hundreds of times in the Torah, but only to Aaron thrice. Aaron makes real mistakes, just like us, but he shows also immense humility and support for his younger brother who surpasses him. Often, he's not even mentioned in the Torah. Like in the, in the parting of the Red Sea, Aaron is, is not mentioned. But he's faithful to support and to intercede and to learn and grow from his mistakes. So if we want to walk in our strengths, in our calling from God, in fullness, then paradoxically, we must decrease. We must become low. We must think about how we can be supporters, how we can help others, how we can be supporting players. A long time ago, while I was still single, I was living the bachelor life, and I was, I was praying for a wife and, uh, you know, sometimes hoping, sometimes despairing, depending on the day. And I remember uh, processing this, this pain of waiting uh, with one of my mentors, and he just said, David, your life is not about you. I remember I was really offended by that. <laughs> I was shocked, and I didn't quite know how to take it. It was a, it was, it was a wake-up call, I think. I'm still learning what that means. Yes, the Lord delights to give us the desires of our heart. But on, in another sense, it's not about us getting those things. It's not, it's not about us. But it is, but it's not. Yes. You have a high calling on your life. What do I mean by calling? It's a, it's a, it's a high fluting word, but it means the Lord asked you to do something. The Lord asked you to do something, and it's important. But it's also not about you. <laughs> he wants you to do great things, greater things, sometimes greater than you can ask or imagine. But we have to... We have to be low, too. Beloved, he delights to partner with you. He wants you to respond to his purpose for your life. My hope is that we would all walk in our strengths and walk in true humility. And that we would find a way to say along with John the Immerser, he must increase that I may decrease. Abba, we thank you for your word, for these, these narratives in your Torah that are so instructive, so helpful, Lord. Um, we pray that you would help us to walk this paradox out, that we would walk in the fullness of our calling, but it would not be about us, Lord. It would not be about our ministry, our kingdom, but it would be about your kingdom, be about what you're doing that we might decrease, that, we, that you might increase. Because when we decrease, then we actually are more fully who we are. When we lose our life, then we actually gain our life. And it's hard for us to understand, Lord, but imprint this, this paradox on our hearts so that we can partner with you, but be, be so humble in doing it, Lord. Because it's about your kingdom. It's about your, your name becoming famous. 
among Israel and the nations, O God. And you want to do beautiful things in Richmond. You want to do amazing things here at Tikvot Israel. And we want to say yes to you. But we also want to say no to our own kingdom and our own pride and our own ego, Lord. So help us get rid of those things so that we can really partner with you and see the fullness of your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen.